0: Everybody, how you doing? I hope you're having a wonderful day, evening, midday, morning. Wherever you're watching or listening to this, I hope everything's well. Thanks for tuning in to a brand new Ike Live 2.0. We've got a really good one for you today. Uh, joining us first time on the show is uh a fierce competitor, uh, interesting guy, good dude. My friend Bernie Schultz joining us on the show in just a little bit. Uh, First off, before we get into this real quick, I, I hope you're enjoying the new format. Uh, I know for a lot of our fans, 10 years, we've been doing this podcast, super long time. It flies by, uh, but I, I hope you're enjoying this new format where we're able to get a little bit more up close and personal with our guests. And I couldn't think of a better guest today to get up close and personal with than Bernie. So looking forward to that. want to thank our sponsors, of course, Mystery Tackle Box, uh, We're going to be doing an unboxing here at the very end of the show. If you're familiar with it, you know what's inside that thing. It's like magic, man. It comes to your doorstep once a month. Uh, It puts in your hands baits that are new, techniques that are new, lures that you might not see out there. It puts those in your hands once a month. Head on over to mysterytacklebox.com. Use the promo code IKELIVE, and you're going to get 30% off your first Elite Box. That's the the red maroon colored one, and fifty percent off your first Pro Box. That's half off your first box. Use the promo code Ike Live. Uh, it's an awesome product. Also, want want to thank the Ike Foundation. Um, great supporter of this show. Uh, we got a couple things going on real quick. We have our first kids event this weekend uh, coming up uh, Saturday over on Lum's Pond in Delaware. Uh, if you know a kid that loves fishing, that's never fished. Doesn't matter. Bring them out. It's going to be a great event. Go to Get more information. And then the big news, June 10th is our, uh, pro-am event on upper Chesapeake Bay. It's a great event. First place, brand new cat boat, brand new Yamaha motor, a big prize, uh, for this part of the country. It's on the upper Chesapeake Bay. Once again, this year, uh, head on over, our field is limited to 110 competitors. So please head on over to ikefoundation.org. Sign up for that event. And as usual, all the proceeds are going to go to help get uh new kids fishing, new kids in the outdoors. So uh ikefoundation.org, head over there and check that out. Uh, I'm gonna get started with the show. Uh can cannot wait to talk to to Bernie. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna patch him in and joining us for
1: the first time, Bernie Schultz. Burning. how's it going? How you doing? I'm good, man. I appreciate you uh, putting me on the show for a change. Dude, that,
0: thanks for coming on. This has been uh, this has been a long time in the making. Uh, honestly, like I think my my producer that produced Ike Live for years and years, we've had you on the hit list, and then something would always happen. Like I don't know, he wasn't a very good producer, so the show would explode, or the stream would end, or something would happen. We could never get you on, but I'm so happy to have you on. Uh, are you getting a little time at home? I know it's been, it's been an interesting season where we've had a lot of back-to-back events, a lot of just week weeks, you know, one week off. Are you getting a little time at home? Where are you at yeah, right
2: now?
1: Yeah, I'm at home now. Um, and you're right. Three, three tournaments in four weeks is a lot, but, uh, a lot. and we leave next week for another one, but uh, things slow down in the summer and there the pace is slower. So we can kind of focus on individual events instead yeah. of dream of events. But, yeah. yeah, it's good to be home and, and uh, recharge and get ready for the next one.
0: Yeah. All right. First, I, I, I got to say this right off the bat. Dude, tremendous season, Bernie, for you this year. Tremendous. Very, very good season for you.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm having some good days. I've I've had a, a few bombs as well. I, I keep kind of blowing Saturdays. You know, when you get to the weekend, you really – that's where you're – you know, that's your shot to really climb the leaderboard and gain yeah. points. I've been – I've been leaving too many points on the table, taking chances. You know, you probably can relate to this. When you once you make the cut, you're kind of it kind of frees you up. Yeah. And you are inclined to maybe take a few chances, and, and uh, sometimes that pays off. It did for me at um, Lake Murray. I had a real big Saturday there, but every other Saturday that I've made cuts in has not gone well. So I, I need to work on that and and try to get back on the. Uh, you know, on the Sunday thing where I can really, really make it matter.
0: Yeah. Well, you've had phenomenal days. I mean, several days in the mid to high twenties, that's hard to do out here on the elites. I don't care if you're on the best fishery in the world. You've had several of those big days. You've had top tens, man. I want to know because I look in the mirror at my, my own season and Bernie, I couldn't catch a fish last year. It was one of those years where, you know, I, the fish were on the right hand side of the canal and I fished on the left or, you know, I, wow. you know, I flipped mats and they were all wood or, you know, it was one of those years where everything was wrong. And I, I try to look in the mirror and analyze like, what did I do? And a lot of it, I look in, the, and I'm like, nothing's different, but I, I want to ask you b- because you've had over the years, just like me, great seasons, terrible seasons, average seasons. What's the difference this year? Cause you're, you're definitely on a roll. You're definitely catching fish. You're figuring them out. What's is there a difference, or is it all the same?
1: No, I think you. I think you're right. I, it, I can't put a finger on anything. I feel like everything's the same except they're coming in the boat. Last year, I had a string of tournaments, uh, especially about mid-season. It started. I started losing fish. Yeah. Uh, when we were at Lake Fork, it, the second day at Lake Fork, kind of, the wheels came off, and it yeah. continued through the the remainder of the season until we got to New York. Um, this year I've lost my share of fish, but the bulk of my big fish, most of them have come in the boat and, uh, I don't get a lot of big fish bites. Uh, you know, I just have a tendency to catch smaller fish on average, but when I do get big bites, uh, it's a coin toss, whether I get them or not, and this year they're coming in the boat. So maybe yeah. that's the difference.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because I think people want to, they, they want to look at you and say, Oh God! You had to, it. had to be a big change, you know. What, what where was your mind at? You know, right. what happened? What was going? On? And then when you look at them, you're like, I'm doing the same thing I've done for 30 years. They're kind of shocked, you know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I think, yeah. yeah. I've, I mean, I've had a lot of bad years, it, and more so than probably good years. But it, it's just things happen. Kind of in, you get on a roll, good or bad. You get on yeah. a roll, and, and if it's bad, it's really hard to climb out of. When it it finally breaks and the tide comes back in and things are going your way, it's a great feeling. And you try to keep it going as long as possible, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's an intangible. It's, it's not really something that seems like we can control. It just happens.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. It's just, it just happens. Um, I, I like to, uh, I get some of the veterans on every once in a while. And I like to corner them about this question. And I, I had recently, I had Mark Menendez on the show and I cornered him on this question and This is a tough one, but you're the perfect guy to ask because you've been doing it a long time, a lot longer than I've been doing it. Is the competition today, 2023, you know, through all the changes, is the competition today with these young anglers tougher than it was, say, 10 years, 20 years, 30, 35 years ago? Or is it the same? Is it tougher or is it the same?
1: To me, it's much tougher um, yeah, these guys, come in, and they're 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 programmed for it. They're they're already prepared. I mean, when I got on the tour, Mike, it was a learning curve. I, I yeah, I bass fished, and I was pretty good in my my region, my territory down here in Florida. But when I got on the tour and started traveling out of the state, man, it was we didn't have YouTube, and we didn't have right. all these social platforms right. that you get information off of. We didn't have the electronics like we do now. And these guys now, they're so well conditioned and programmed for competition at this level. When they come in, I mean, you, you see it all the time. These younger guys uh, come in and they win immediately. And yeah. uh, they're fierce. They're, they're really fierce competitors. They, they uh, take no prisoners. They're, they're ready for it. They're prepped yeah. for it. So, yeah. To me, it's, it's, it's a much higher level of competition than it was 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. Uh, there's more good and great anglers than there were back then. There was a handful of great anglers and a bunch of good anglers. Now there's a lot of great anglers, right? You got to be on top of your game. Being great. Doesn't get it done completely. You got to have some breaks and you got to have things go your way. But, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely stiffer competition.
0: Yeah. They're, they're learning so much earlier and I think they possess a lot of things early, that it took us a lot longer uh, to get to time-wise. I mean, you can point at electronics, right? Um, You know, deep water finesse tactics, like all these things that the young generation is really, really good at. But are there there things that the older guys like us, are there things that the older guys possess that the young guys don't?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, in my case, I think I have patience more so than a lot of the younger guys. Um, sometimes that works against me, though. I can, you know, I'll fish an area. You've seen me do this over the years. I'll fish an area till the cows come home. I mean, yeah. have people pull up to me and ask me if I'm broke down. <laughs> I'm, I'm fishing a spot so long. But, uh, you know, when I get dialed in, in an area, I don't like to give it up. And I feel like if it's a good area, more fish will come to it. it you know, more fish will use it. Um, the guys nowadays, it just seems like they – the milk run pattern is, is so part of their, their uh, game plan. It's like, you know, they're always on the move and, and, and that there's a lot of, a lot to be said for that. that yeah. I mean, you, you know, timing is everything and you know, guys will figure out a, a series of spots that they continually hit through the course of the day, thinking at some point, they're going to land on them at the right time. And, and it works, it works well for a lot of people and it's worked for me, but usually when I do the best, it's when I find a single spot or a couple of places, uh, where I can anchor and, and, you know, not literally, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Camp and and really, uh, exploit the area.
0: Yeah. Concentrating on a group of fish, right? Like identifying an area and saying, look, fish live here. I'm going to figure this out. Right. Instead of, instead of running to what might be staying with what, you know, and I, I love that. I love that strategy yeah, yeah
1: that's well that's kind of like the florida mentality i mean especially during the winter when we have cold fronts when you get in an area where there's fish you better slow down
0: right, right?
1: really milk that area and i mean glacial speed yeah uh, That florida's where dead warming kind of got its wheels you know or dead sticking some people call it that but um mike if you don't mind could i take an opportunity um i'd like to Say publicly, uh, give an apology to uh, one of the f- elite guys from the last event. I got in a situation with Caleb Kupal. And, yeah, uh, I, I, I want to apologize. I, I did something that was really out of character for me. The first morning of the tournament, I was in the last flight, and I got to uh, stretch a grass that I thought there would be no chance of getting on. It was, it was. I mean, it was really thick with shad. The shad spawn was really good there. I found it the first morning of practice. And to my amazement, when I'm running up the river, this spot's barren, nobody's on it. Wow. So I pulled in and it was game on. I mean, in just a matter of minutes, I started catching these fish, big ones yeah. too. Yeah. And pretty soon camera boats started showing up, which, you know, when they show up, you know, you're doing well. So probably in a couple of hours I had like 16 pounds of fish and in that tournament, that's a lot. was a
0: lot. That was it a lot was, last week. Yeah. It
1: was, it was a tough tournament in, uh, so I stayed on the spot even when the spawn was over I wanted to make sure I established the water and uh you know probably around midday I left and and did some other things but uh so the next morning I'm in the first flight and I'm like boat 15 I think something like that and I'm thinking man this is perfect I'm I'm gonna get there it's gonna be mine and yeah you know, I'm gonna get to continue the the program but anyway I amazingly the guy right in front of me going up the lake is uh caleb Kupal. i didn't know it at the time but he shut down in front of me on the spot and out of character i did something i I was way too aggressive when i came in i came in hard and uh immediately tried to explain to him that uh you know i was here all day the day before i caught all of my fish here and basically was making a plea for the spot and he published a video from his um, GoPro video from the back of his boat and it captured most of it. He cut the video a little bit short, but I misunderstood the exchange. I thought he was relinquishing the spot. He said, he put his arms in the air and said, I guess I'll go the other way. And I interpreted that as him giving me the spot and everything was cool. But I guess it was sarcastic, his remark, you know, and and I I didn't see that. Keep in mind, this is the first flight right are, we're fishing in the channel we're right in yeah. the channel and boats are streaming by us i mean 40 50 boats yeah really running by us so what looked like me yelling at him i was actually yelling to him so right so he could hear me and understand me yeah um anyway he went the other way to his credit he turned and went the other way and i continued down the grass line ended up doing well that day at the end of the day uh I saw him in the parking lot and immediately went to him to thank him. And that's when I figured out that he wasn't happy. And uh, I apologized and, and uh, it, it was wrong the way I came. I came in hard. I, I was hot. When, you know, when yeah. I, you know, I had a lot of adrenaline flowing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought I was, I was in fifth place looking to move up the ladder board. And, and I felt like I had established the spot. But, you know, his argument is they flipped the, the flights for a reason. And he's right, you know, he got there ahead of me and I should have handled it differently. I wish I had, but uh, I mis- misunderstood the exchange and he kind of went the other way quicker than I could, you know, get a grasp yeah. of it. But uh, anyway, I've been in contact with him uh, trying to make it right. And I told Caleb, I said, you know, there'll be a time down the road where I can return the favor and, yeah. and I apologize to him more than a few times. Yeah. Uh, And to his credit, I I asked him if he'd meet me for a beer in uh, in uh, Orange, Texas uh, at the Sabine. And he agreed. So we're going to we're going to spend a little time out there. I got a lot of respect for that guy. I I don't know if you've observed him since he's been on tour. I've kind of taken notice. He he does his own thing. He's he's, yeah. Caleb is is understated in a way he he, you know, he just kind of keeps to himself, does his own work. And what I admire about him is he finds a way to catch fish that other people miss. Right. You know, he's a little really, different really style. Yes. Yeah. So I admired him before any of this. I, I developed a tremendous amount of respect for him. And when, it re- when I pulled off the channel and shut down and realized it was him, I was like, whoa, this doesn't make sense. Caleb's not the kind to encroach. Yeah. And he legitimately felt like he, you know, it was his turn on the spot. And, and rightfully so. Yeah, um, I wished I'd handled it differently. Uh, Caleb's a good guy, and I'm hoping we can get past it and and you know be friends down the road. I, yeah, I will. Rep- I will return the favor and and make it right, and hopefully that opportunity comes soon. But that's that's what I had to say. Sorry. Yeah. No,
0: no. 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 That's all right. And I it, let me, let me start by saying it, it for me. As you were saying that, I I can relate because I'm a Philly guy, grew up in. You know, uh, urban it. environment, uh, right. very ethnic, hardcore family, Italian bunch of Italians, right. and I can tell you that apologizing, you know, realizing, you know, you've made a mistake or whatever, it's a hard thing. Like I've struggled with that my whole adult life up until recently as I got older, and it's hard to apologize. So hats off to you for doing that, but it did bring something up, which. I I think I I didn't have this in my notes, but it's a great chance to talk about it. Which is, listen, this stuff has happened from the infancy of bass fishing every day. Every day, day. you've been doing it forever. Um, I I think sometimes people think this is like a new phenomenon. You know that people, uh, you know, get into you know they're trying to fish the same spot and they're get into it. So this is not new, but I think there are two ways to handle it. And, and I'm going to say this, I'll probably get, get some heat for this, but I think both are effective. And, and, you know, the one is what you just said, you know, you're charged up, he's charged up and you, both you guys use that aggression to try to, you know, intimidate the other competitor to, you know, to leave, to, to give the spot up. And I'm saying this because I've done this. I am so guilty of of using this approach myself, right? So that's right, one right. that's one way. And then the other way is, you know, you go in and you uh you know, you you stay positive and you you use positivity to work together. And that one has been for me a lot harder over the years, especially early in my career. Right. And I I think it's like the more that you know, you have stuff happen to you, you know, like when I was a co-angler, I saw Denny and, and Tommy Biffle get into it. Bernie, this is the most amazing thing. I was a co-angler at Lake Norman, 1993. And I watched Denny and Tommy Biffle at the time, heroes of, my, of mine, right? I'm a young guy, and I'm a sophomore in college. I watched them get into this giant intimidation battle. And Denny won. Denny intimidated, of course, b- Biffle <laughs> to leave the spot, right? So you know, you sort of learn by your your surroundings, right? And I, yeah. I've been in, I've been into arguments with Edwin Evers and Kevin Van Dam and some of the best guys in the sport. Uh, similar situations, so it's nothing new. But it, is it is it wrong to try to use the aggression factor to 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 well, you,
1: you know? that's not my my you know that's not my approach um yeah what i what i try to convey to to uh, caleb and i think it's it bears repeating communication goes a long way i think yeah. had caleb stopped the first morning and said hey i know about these fish too what do you want to do do you want to i mean if i give them to you today i'm going to be here tomorrow and you're out or right. do you want to work together right i would have said, come on, get in, you know, because I, yep. I definitely wanted to come back the next day and I'd have worked with him. But Caleb didn't stop. Caleb ran by and I saw him run by after the camera boats were there. Guys were going up and down the river trying to hit as many right. spots as they could yep. in the morning. I mean, that morning bite was crucial, as you know. Yep. And, and so I saw a number of guys go by and I, I mean, I got camera boats on me. I'm going to take notice of who's going by because if there's an issue the next day, I want to be able to know, you know, and say, look, you, you saw me here, you know what I've done. Right. But, um, I, I just wish Caleb had stopped that first morning and said, look, you know, let's, let's work through this. I would have, it would have changed the whole outcome and there would have been no, no, um, altercation. It really wasn't an altercation. I just misread things. And, and again, I was wrong. And, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, wanted to clear the air on that. And hopefully Caleb and I can work forward and and make things right.
0: Yeah. What's that? That sounds like that'll happen. It's uh, I, I think the other thing to to keep in mind for guys listening and, you know, uh, the guys have had experienced this is it's competition. And, you know, what I've learned over the years, it's like a lot of things happen in the heat of competition. But once the day is over, you know, you should have the ability to communicate, talk and be normal and be adults. And, yeah. you know, that sounds like that's what happened. So,
1: yeah, he, he was very civil in the parking lot when we talked. He's been civil since in messaging and whatnot um very understanding he you know he he posted a the video and then he took it down which i appreciated and then he posted a follow-up video where he kind of explained uh that things happen you know he tried to explain the scenario the morning where everybody's jumping from spot to spot and guys were stepping on each other's toes and that he was guilty um at some point, not necessarily in that tournament, but it, he's been, you know, in that same situation where yeah. he was the aggressor right. and, uh, I, to his credit. That was, you know, I appreciated that as well, but, you know, it's, you know, as well as I do, depending on the person that establishes the, the water, it can go down a, a lot of different ways. I mean, Shaw Grigsby one thing. Shaw's going to say, yeah, no problem denny brower or greg hackney or oh, Bob yeah. Lane, you're gonna get a different response and you're <laughs> probably gonna get an ass chewing is what you're gonna get so <laughs> oh. yeah, and that's even on the second morning that could be on the first afternoon of the first day you know yeah i mean yeah. pretty territorial i'm usually not that way but man i was in fifth place looking to climb the leaderboard i had a bad tournament at santee and i was trying to make up for it and i had a ton of adrenaline pumping and it just yeah you know, I didn't handle it in the best way and, and, uh, not that's out of my character, but anyway, I didn't want to take over the program. Yeah, that.
0: no, no, that, that
1: Caleb was on, I, you know, we could include him in the conversation. Yeah. He's a solid guy. He, he's, he really is. I, I I like the way he handles himself on the water and off.
0: Yeah. He's, he's, he seems like a really good dude and he's one of the younger guys and, yeah. and that, it actually brings me to my next point. I, I and I wanted to just switch it up and, um, I wanted to commend you on two things. Uh, you know, I, I just mentioned, you know, like early in my career, man, not even not even before my career, when I was, you know, gosh, when I was 17, 18, 19, when I really started following the sport, um, there was a handful of guys that I looked at and said, oh, my God, they do this really, really well. And And, you know, for me that early, because I had – I had no real like mentor, you, you know, for tournament fishing. You know, I had I had mentors for fishing, but not tournament fishing. So I was like looking at people, whether it was on Bassmaster or was whether it was through magazines or whether it was at boat shows. I was looking at pros, and literally like looking at at it and saying, "God, they do that well," and I was copying it. <laughs> I was I was photocopying what I saw guys do well and. Right. And I want to commend you. You've done two things really, really well in your career, and I want you to talk about both of them because we have a lot of young guys listening to this program that aspire to do it. Um, The first one is is teaching, Bernie. Dude, you're a dude. You're a really good teacher. Like, like I can close my eyes and imagine you teaching in a college, like being a college professor, maybe like a bow tie, more nerdy glasses. You know, you know, like the different look. I can imagine you teaching, but right. Dude, you have a way of educating that is very amazing. I want you to talk about that. And then I, I want to talk about probably the bigger thing for me and what I tried to emulate uh, is your ability to to make a living in the fishing industry other ways than just the tournament fishing. Right? You, you were one of the first guys I looked at and said, this dude's doing other stuff to reach people to make a living, to grow the business other than just tournament fishing. So I want you to talk about that too, but start with the teaching. Hey, hey, where did that come from?
1: Man, I don't know. I mean, I, I never fancied myself as an instructor, but uh, I guess I like to convey concepts uh, both in a, you know, verbally, but also in through my illustration. I'm, I was an art major in college, an illustrator, and uh, that later played into my relationship with Bassmaster Magazine and Bass Times. I became an illustrator for those publications. And I guess because I had those platforms and was able to, uh, you know, offer concepts through illustration and also some writing skills, I'm I'm a decent writer. There's a lot better writers out there, a lot better illustrators, a lot better anglers. But fortunately for me, there's not a lot that can do all those things. Yeah, And uh, so I had a, an opportunity early on, uh, because of Dave Precht and, and, uh, Tim Tucker, you remember the great Tim Tucker, oh yeah, staff writer for bass. Um, uh, Tim interviewed me when I, early in my career, I was just getting my wheels and, and he interviewed me on the concept of fishing hydrilla and its various stages of growth. And, uh, so he submitted the story to Dave Precht for Bassmaster as a feature article. And Dave asked Tim to have me do some rough, illustrations or, or drawings. He didn't even know I was an illustrator. He just said, can he kind of give us some stick figures on what he's talking about? So I did these renderings and sent them to him. And he called me the next day and said, would you be an illustrator for Bassmaster Magazine? I said, sure. Wow. So that was the start of it. And that kind of you know, grew with, uh, with time. And then I, he gave me the opportunity to write some things. And I, in, in the 90s, I had a series called Techniques Illustrator where I wrote and draw, uh, did the drawings for the series, and it basically featured top anglers with their best technique. Supposed to run one year and ended up r- running like five years and could have continued to run, but I was fishing bass and FLW back then. And I, right. it was just my fishing was doing better than my other stuff. So I, yeah. I, I put it into the series. I remained a, a writer. You know, things went digital after that. Yeah. I'm kind of off track here. I guess because of those opportunities. And doing seminars, you know, back in the day, that was a big deal. Traveling the show circuit up north in the winter, big time, supplementing yeah. your income by doing uh, appearances and speaking engagements, and that just kind of snowballed into what it is that I do now. And and uh, you know, I've been fortunate. You know, when I wasn't catching fish, I still had a platform to promote myself. Right, and my sponsors.
0: Right. So, that 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 that's the biggest thing. I'm so glad you said that. Like, because yeah. that's the right way to state it. So many of these young anglers, and we get—I I look at the questions and the comments that come through, and they just want to fish, right? They—they're <laughs> they ju- high school, college age anglers, and and they—they they look at their future and they say, "I want to just fish." Yeah. They and do. what you just said is so key, right? They've—they've got to be aware that they need to strive to have something else, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean- yeah. I tell every kid that I, I talk to, stay in school and get some communication uh, skills, learn advertising, uh, take classes, whatever, uh, journalism, anything that can give you an edge on the next guy. Because there's a lot of great anglers coming up. So separate yourself. Give yeah. yourself additional tools that make you more um, you know, appealing to potential sponsors, to the media, and by all means, learn to work with media. I mean, they, yeah. at any level, locally, regionally, nationally, internationally, uh, you can't ever have enough media contacts in this business. And that's been my strength. I've, I've developed some great relationships over the years, both in digital and print, yeah. uh, television. Uh, it's just, you know, I, I never turned an opportunity down if I could, in any, in any capacity, make it work or fit it in. I tried to do that. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. Kids nowadays have exceedingly more platforms than we did. You know, they got YouTube and social media platforms, and everybody got platforms. a GoPro yeah. now. Yeah. Um, so that they have the ability to get their message out, get themselves out there, and in, in front of everybody. But you got to have some skills, and, and communication skills are huge. Uh, you, you need to be able to communicate uh, concepts in fishing on the water, and you know, to the camera. But in the boardroom as well like when when you know how critical that is if you're in a meeting with with rapala or mercury or or your boat coming whatever sponsor uh if if you're in a meeting you need to be able to communicate your ideas and and interact with those people on their level not your
0: right right it's it's been fun to watch that part of your career uh you know you mentioned the illustrations like i think for me i i have this weird Memory of things when I was younger in fishing, and and you know, a lot of it is the old Bassmaster show when it was on, I think it was TNN uh, or yeah. TNT, uh, you know, like these moments, iconic moments that I watched, right? Uh, but a lot of my memories too are those illustrations. Like, I, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I'm that def- was definitely a fanboy of what you were doing, and uh. I like I can, cl- I can close my eyes and remember illustrations. Like this is how embarrassing it is. Like I remember Rick Klun won a tournament on Thousand Islands, and he he ran. This is back when Smallmouth didn't win, and he ran out of Clayton, and he ran all the way across over to Henderson in the great in one of the Great Lakes, and he was fishing a Viber shaft spinnerbait, and he was burning a spinnerbait for Smallmouth, dude. It was for guys that lived up in the north. We didn't even think about smallmouth at that period. It was all largemouth. And all of a sudden, Clun wins this tournament. It was an invitational. And I remember getting the best times and seeing the illustration that showed these smallmouths around scattered stalks of, I think it was milfoil, right. on this flat glacial rock. And like those memories stick with me, man. I, yeah. I, I noticed people listening right now and saying, oh, that." Ike's a geek, but it sticks with me, man. They were powerful. You were affecting people with that, with the illustrations, man.
1: Yeah, it was it was a neat time, and and uh, you know I hate to see stuff like that kind of go to the wayside over time. But everything's digital now, and I yeah. was trained. I I was an old school illustrator, everything by hand, and then the transition towards digital illustration and and uh, yeah. art changed, and I got kind of pushed aside. But writing is My writing has kept me in there and, and I enjoy that. I've got uh, a column at bassmaster.com one at insideline.net, which is the Yamamoto site.
0: Yes. And then also
1: I have a a column at at just fishing, which is an Ontario online and printed public publication. So I, you know, I still have the platforms and and I enjoy it. Uh, It keeps me relative when I'm not catching fish. Yeah. It gives me an opportunity to to share concepts and, and techniques and, and they're not all my techniques. A lot of times I'm talking about how Mike Iaconelli fishes a jerk bait or, yeah. um, or somebody fishes a, you know, a Ned rig or whatever, you know, it's yeah. just, I like to convey concepts and, and help people catch more fish.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I, I you, you mentioned sponsors and I, and I, I, I didn't even have this on my sheet, but I did want to talk about this real quick, which is we've had people on the show over the years that are amazing anglers that have been through, you know, I, a gamut of, of sponsors, right? You know, sure. they, they were with Pradco. Then they went here, then they went there, then they went there and they're very successful, but they've just kind of kept that going. Uh, then we have other guys like yourself that have done a really good job of maintaining long-term relationships with sponsors. Talk about that a little bit. Cause I think there's something to that, that you're doing something special that other guys aren't, uh, Yamamoto, uh, uh, Fuji, uh, Shimano, Mercury—you know, you've you've got this list that's really large. Hildebrand, forever, right? Uh, how, how do you do that?
1: Well, when I came into the game, it, you know, I, I came in kind of as as a um, uh, understudy to a rep group, really. I, I you know, I was fishing tournaments regionally, and I wanted to be a, a, a pro fisherman and. I knew sponsorship was critical, but I hadn't hadn't really won anything of any note yet, and and I just uh, got really took it, taken in, really, by a friend that was a rep, Syl Dawson. Uh, he was repping uh, Finwick and, and uh, Rapala at the time. Anyway, he, uh, he kind of took me in and said, look, this is the way to do it, and, and taught me loyalty. He said, you know, there's a lot of guys, and we went to our first show together, and I was basically his, his gopher. I would help him set up the booth, I manned the booth, I tore down the booth, and, and I learned a lot about that. You know, he, he taught me a lot about stock keeping units and, and uh, product and programming and all that from the sales side, which helped me later on. But, but he also uh, taught me the lesson of loyalty. He said, you'll see guys come through here in this show looking for sponsors, and they will prostitute themselves for anything. They don't necessarily believe in the products that they're trying to solicit.
2: Right. They just
1: want the money. He said, don't be that guy. Align yourself with the products and companies you believe in and wait until, if, if the opportunity is not there now, wait until it presents itself. Keep fishing, fish hard and do things right. And it'll come to you. And he was right. He was a hundred percent right. Yeah, um, I always tried to align myself with the companies. And, and you know, that I believed in. And, and the key to me, Mike, and I think you can relate to this, promote the products that sell themselves. You right. Know, you yeah. Fail. If it's a good product and you align yourself with it and, and do what you're supposed to do, make the appearances, do well in tournaments, stay out of trouble, you're going to do fine. And, and that's, that's been my game plan from the start. It's just about loyalty and aligning yourself with the right companies.
0: Yeah. That's great, great, great motto. And I think, you know, those long-term relationships you start to build like equity in each other, Absolutely. you know, and, and, uh, it's really cool to see that. And that's, that's a great, great top uh, topic yeah. for younger anglers. I mean, you uh, can,
1: you, well, let me just say this. You can, you yeah. can, you can have, be the, you can be the most loyal guy out there. Things change. Uh, right. pro staff managers change. And oftentimes you fall victim to that. Uh, that's been, that's occurred to me of more than a few times. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to leave, but they had a different marketing program or right. concept and, or they wanted uh, guys that represented a different demographic or yeah. different age group or whatever. So you got to roll with the punches sometimes, but fortunately if, if you establish yourself as a good promoter and a solid competitor and you work outside the, uh, the fishing, you know, you know, when you're off stage and, or off the water, you're still promoting, yeah. Yeah, that the right companies will take notice, and it will come back to you. You'll
0: yeah. always have a job. Yeah. Well, that, that's actually a great, a great segue because a lot of the questions you try to ask are for the audience. And This question's for me. Okay. <laughs> this question's for me. Uh, you just talked about it, which is, you know, maybe, maybe let me let me back up a second and say that, you know, like, um, for me, and maybe for you, I don't know. I want to ask you this question at the very end, but. I know I'm in the last few innings of my career, right? I I know, I know that, you know, I, I, I look at my life and I look at what I want to do, you know, what I want to do in retirement and with my family. And I look at all that and I know that I'm in the last few innings of my career. I'm getting older, right. Uh, am getting up there. I'm not the young guy anymore. I'm not the superstar. I'm not the hot guy. I'm, I'm one of the old guys now, and, and I I know that, and I I feel you know it's hard to say this, but I feel it coming, a time well, when I'm going to lose relationships like you like you just described, right? Not because you know I got in a brawl with somebody at the company, but because I'm now aging out of who they want to work with, or I, I'm I'm just aging out, you know. You've had that happen, a- oh, yeah. and and uh, and so I, you know, like I want to know personally, like, you know, how do you how do you deal with that? Like, it, it, is do, you know, how do you handle that? You know, I'm I'm a little anxious because I know it's coming. I I can feel it. You yeah, know?
1: I mean, in the case of Rapala, that stung. Uh, you know, I, I I committed a the larger portion of my career to that brand. Yeah, um, and uh, it just you know I was phased out because. The new pro staff manager, he likes YouTubers. He likes guys mm-hmm. that are, you know, out there in social media pounding the pavement. Um, I'm not that guy. I I do it to some percentage, but but I don't have a YouTube channel, and I'm not trying to be that guy. And and I understand that. That's fine. Um, it stings when you help develop products that are exceptionally successful, and you don't get to continue endorsing those products, but. Fortunately for me, um, you know, there was another opportunity with Shimano. They it, they brought a lot of lures over from Japan. They they have a really strong product line of lures that is now in this this market. And they've uh, they basically bought out my Rapla contract, which gave me a chance to help them, you know, in, in that in that sector of the market. And, right. And that's good, and it, it, and it's important. I want to help them. Shimano's been with me my my whole career. Toyo Shimano signed me and that's going back. That's going back yeah. a long time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to happen. You know, I'm like you, I'm looking yeah. at the sunset. It's, it, it's there and, and rapidly approaching, but I'm still competitive. I, I got my health. I've got the sponsorship and I I've got the passion. I still, uh, you know, with that situation last week, I, you know, I, I still see that I want it. Yeah. Uh, there's some things I'd like to accomplish before I'm done. I'd like to make another classic before I'm done and maybe hold a blue trophy before I'm done. Who knows? We'll see, but that's kind of in his hands. I'm just, I'm just trying to do my part and, and, uh, and work hard.
0: Yep. Yep. Well, you're having a great season. Uh, Speaking of passion, you just mentioned passion. I, this is, this is another great segue where I think um, a lot of people from afar when they see, you know, pro anglers, right. They're watching their favorite pro angler. They assume that that's all they do, right? Their life is just pro fishing, you know. Right. Monday to Sunday, pro fishing. You know, seven a.m. to seven p.m. Just pro fishing, pro fishing, pro fishing. But pro fishermen are just people. Right. <laughs> We're just people, regular people too. And regular people have other things, and they have, uh, you know, they like to do certain activities. They have hobbies. I want to get into this part because this to me was definitely one of the highlights of having you on the show. Because I am, I am a, I'm a history geek. I'm a, you know, I'm a borderline hoarder myself. I, I like, I don't like to throw things out. I like history and age, I like old stuff. And I want to get into you've got one of the coolest hobbies uh, that I, I think that's out there you're what's the correct terminology antique glory collector
1: yeah and tackle and tackle tackle collector collector. yeah
0: dude i i've i've been on your site and you've got some great stuff on the website listed dude it's unbelievable talk about it how did you start this Where, where did the hobby start
1: uh probably my my grandmother was an antique dealer and, and I used to go with her as a kid. We, we lived out in the country on a lake, and she was on one side of the lake. My mom and dad built a house on the opposite side of the lake. But a lot of our weekends were spent with them, and she would go to garage sales, estate sales, flea markets. <laughs> and I got the job of going along with her and, and carrying stuff that she bought and putting it in the trailer or the car or whatever. And my mom would go, and, and uh, my interest was in fishing. My granddad was, was a big time fisherman. And, Taught me a lot about bass fishing when I was a kid, and so I kind of gravitated to the things that interested me most, and that was lures. Yeah, and we'd go to these flea markets and whatnot, and I'd see them, and I'd she'd buy them for me if I wanted them, and and uh, so I was collecting lures when I was a kid, and I think all of us, anybody that's an angler, a, a serious bass angler, is a collector of lures.
0: They, You've got that gene that's sure, built yeah. in. Yeah. I mean,
1: who doesn't love a tackle box full of lures, you know, yep. the more, the better. But, um, and, and I just kind of stayed with it. And in the history of the sport started to intrigue me, um, you know, they're basically the tools of my trade and I feel kind of an obligation. I think others should also want to know more about the history of the sport. The, the lure, as we know it, the plug, you know, the wooden lure. Yeah. That, that's a product of our culture, not, Europe or Asia or distant land that was developed in our culture, uh, in the 1800s to early 1900s, as were the bass casting reels. And I've got stuff here to share with you, but, um, the first bass reels, casting reels were made by watchmakers in Kentucky. They understood gearing and how, you know, all that detailed work. And so they made reels by hand. And they were like watches. I mean, the I can wow. spin one here for you and, and demonstrate that. Yeah. they're precision instruments. And uh, so, to me, it's it it it's just such a intriguing uh, topic. The, you know the whole idea of how fishing developed in our culture, bass fishing in particular, because bass are indigenous to North America. They're in other places now. They're in South America, Central America. South Africa, Asia, Japan—yeah, you know, they're, they're everywhere. Uh, but that's by that's through introduction, you know, human introduction. Uh, they it all started right here, and uh, I don't know. I just you know maybe my art background—I you know, I appreciate the the aesthetics. Some of the earliest lures are works of art. They're just yeah. incredible. The the paint, the the body styles, the hardware, the way they put them together. I mean, just nothing was injected molded and and through a process you know a production line type of thing and they're all made by hand hand carved some of them yeah and finished and hand assembled hand painted everything um the components were the best quality you could get at the time and i have an appreciation for that i just i, I really like that i think it's um uh, the coolest part of our sport and so i collect the stuff.
0: It's it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, I, I I I'm as you're talking, like I'm drooling because you know, I'm a collector of old stuff too. Not not necessarily fishing lures, but I love that history aspect to it. Yeah. uh you know, like I, I'll just admit right here, you know, I mentioned I'm I'm a borderline hoarder, but there's something about a hard lure, a crankbait of top order. So this is a little embarrassing, but I'm gonna tell I'm gonna let everybody know right here. We're live. I don't care. I'm gonna say it. I've never thrown out a hard lure that I've owned since literally since I got my first one, like 10 years old. If it was a hard bait, I still have it. I, I have, re- I, it's unbelievable. Like I just, there's something about that lure. And I think a lot of people have that too. I think a lot of fishermen Absolutely. have that, Absolutely. but, but you know, when I'm on this page looking at some of you, some of your baits, like. The beauty, the history, that stands out. But the other thing that really hits me, and you mentioned a little bit, is this is iconic U.S. stuff that, like, I hear all the time people saying, oh, that's a that's a copy from a Japanese lore. And I'm looking at a lot of these lawyers Right now, I'm looking at, and I invite everybody to go to Bernie's website and look at this stuff. It's unbelievable. But I'm looking at the Florida Shiner, and this is by uh, FLB Flood. This I got is one Florida, right here, yeah. It, it's, Dude, it is a Bernie. It's a it's a hard swim bait. It's it's like without the joint, that look could be a herring swim bait of Look at that thing! It's a freaking herring swim bait from today. Like I, it's it's mind blowing to see that. And and how old is that one, Bernie? Give me give me the age (laughs) on that one.
1: It's probably the thirties. And what's unique about this bait, Mike? You can't probably see it too well, but that's the line tie right there and there's one on, wow. there's one on the other side it's it's called the famous circling minnow and the idea was to throw it out there and if you wanted to go left you tied it on one side of the bait if you wanted to go right it, you tied on the opposite side and uh they were made by uh, this guy was actually an orange grove farmer in florida his name was frederick wow. luke breeden flood that's a mouthful but anyway uh, frederick flood it's called the flood minnow and uh, there it is again, sorry. Um Thing is unbelievable. It's thin. It's 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 a thin bait, it's long, and it is a swim bait, basically yeah. a hard body swim bait. And uh, yeah, he he was a cool guy, he made them in all sizes, but the the concept that was so unique is the fact that it would swim in a circle. Or at least that was the way it was propo- pro- promoted.
0: Like like an injured minnow, like just spiraling was, on the yeah, top. Yeah, yeah. It,
1: would, it would kind of carve to one side. So if you're you know fishing the right side of a dock, you'd tie it on a certain side, and it would swim to that side of the dock. So yeah, a weird concept, but that that's what he did, and that's the cool thing. There's a there was a lot of interesting concepts back in the days. Uh, most of them were follies; they failed, um, but they had a short run and in many cases, the ones that were the most um, novelty, like those were the ones that didn't have a long run. They're very collectible because they didn't survive. Right. There's not many of them out there. Um, This is a cool bait right here. This is a super strike shrimp. It's made of celluloid plastic. If you can see that.
0: Yeah. See
1: The eyes, the the eyes are actually ladies hat pins from the period this is in the twenties and thirties. It's that. So I was, I, I'm looking
0: at it and, and I was just going to guess like fifties or sixties because you said celluloid and I'm thinking all old lures are wood. This one's different. This is, no, this it's is
1: actually, early form of plastic. In fact, Mike, this is cool as heck. They're probably not going to be able to see this. It's on my site and I got a frame here. If you can see this, it's hard to see. That's actually a flying machine. If you look right here. Yeah. That's a flying machine that was towed by a vehicle on the beach in St. Augustine, Florida. And once it got airborne, the guy that was piloting the thing would pedal like a bicycle mechanism to flap the wings. And it's called an orthohopter. It didn't. This one flew about maybe 50, 60 yards, and then it crashed. And the guy that was making the shrimp in St. Augustine bought the aircraft after it was destroyed. Yeah. Or the plastic, the celluloid wings, because that's what he wanted to make his shrimp out of. Wow. Yeah. So it's an interesting story how they source their materials back then. But that happened right here in Florida. A lot of the lures that I collect are made in Florida. Florida was kind yeah. of a proving ground for a lot of companies. Even northern companies would come to Florida in the winter because the the water was hard up there and they couldn't really test their bait so they come yeah. down here and they would uh test their baits down here but this this celluloid shrimp lasted from the 20s into the 30s and then it disappeared but it is the coolest thing and it's it's articulating the uh the paint jobs inside the body of the lure it doesn't look like it but it's actually inside oh, no. and the reason he did that is so that fish wouldn't remove it when they struck the lure
0: right it would it would last
1: exactly would hold
0: up yeah that's it that's incredible because i'm looking at that thing and i swear it looks like it's brand new like it looks yeah, like it popped out of the popped out of a store yesterday yeah that that's incredible the yeah, condition
1: of that it's a great really great example um i, I gotta share this one with you everybody loves a hollow bodied frog yeah but if you ask. 99% of the anglers out there that throw them when the first hollow body frog was made, they'd, they'd miss by probably 50, 60 years. The first hollow body frog was made in 1895. There's the box. Oh, okay. That's the frog. And you can see the, the, the hooks between the legs. Yeah. Okay. I've actually got the frog right here and it, I'm not going to squeeze it because the rubber's so old, but there's the, let me get where I'm supposed to be. There's the frog.
0: Oh my God!
1: Look at that. that They had weedless hooks, also. If you can see the weed guards over the hook.
0: That is amazing. 1890s, late 1895
1: is on the box. Yeah, and it's hollow rubber. And what's interesting is when you read the instructions, it says when the when the cavity fills with water, squeeze the frog. Squeeze it. It, I mean, how that speaks to today's frog. Oh my God! hasn't really it's, changed, and this frog is 120 plus years old. I mean, look at the condition of this thing.
0: That's crazy. I, I honestly, you're right. Like I'm one of the guys that would have guessed snag-proof. You know, 60s, exactly. 70s. Uh, that oh. blows me away. And uh, if Ish Monroe happens to be listening to this podcast, Ish, you were not the first guy to fish a hollow body frog. It's a, no, it's official now.
1: <laughs> Nor, nor was Dean Rojas.
0: Uh, oh man, that is incredible! All right, so uh, let let me ask you this because there's a lot of people right now that are watching, and listening, and they're freaking out like I am right now, and they're saying, "Man, I've got stuff," or "My grandfather's got stuff." T- tell me, a, like, uh, tell me just a little bit about the hobby, like from a standpoint of what affects the value of that lore. Like, I I know a little bit from the collecting that I do, but is it is it condition? Is it age? Is it rarity is it a little bit of all of it
1: it is it's all of those things um yeah rarity scarcity that's that's priority one you know the the more scarce the better the scarcer the better um conditions important if you're a collector you want to find the nicest example possible but i've got lures that are beaters that i i value just as much as those that are pristine because they're so rare um and you know it's it's eye appeal you know, what appeals to me might not appeal to you. you. You might like a certain body style or you might like a different maker. You might like a different color pattern. Right. There's all different aspects of collecting that people can enter the hobby in, whether it's color collecting, body style collecting, the production, you know, what? who made the lure or the period in which it was made. There's a lot of different categories that you can pursue. Um, some guys like reels, some guys like rods. Some guys like uh, ephemera, you know, paperwork, uh, advertising, uh, you know, there's there's just that's the cool part about it. And when you go to these shows, there's organized clubs that that uh, sanction shows around the country. Yep. And and across the globe, really, there's other countries that participate. But uh, you can go to these shows. The public's welcome to join or or come in as a guest. And you can learn so much in just one day of going to an antique tackle show. You can learn about the history of our sport in a nutshell. Yeah, the People there are, and for the most part, are, are very uh, knowledgeable. They're experts, and they'll yep. share that knowledge. They, they love to talk about it because it's their passion. And the more people they can involve, the better it is for all of us. Uh, I host a couple of shows each year. Uh, one is in Savannah, Georgia. It's called the Great Southern Classic. It's in November. The public's inv- uh, invited to come. Uh, the Florida Antique Tackle Collectors has a show in St. Augustine in February every year. It's it's a uh, it's a big show. And then the National Fishing Lure Collectors Club, NFLCC. If you want to look them up, you know, Google them. They have regional shows and a national show, and they move around to different cities. So chances are good there's a show near your listeners that if yeah. they have an interest. They can go and check this out. There's also the Old Real Collectors Association. Uh, Orca for short. Yep. And they can, uh, they can go to their shows. So there's an opportunity for the public to get involved, learn more about it. And I would encourage them to do so if, if they're passionate about bass fishing or fishing at any level, any type, uh, definitely, you know, look into it and see, see if there's something there that interests you
0: it's super it's super interesting hobby man i i i love it uh i think it's it's phenomenal and i know there's a lot of people i, I maybe this is a good little tip and a good little way to end and this segment is a lot of people have access to stuff and they don't know what it's worth like you know as much as i am a flea market junkie and i love going to a flea market and finding a steal there are people giving stuff away so if there's somebody listening that's got I don't know, their grandfather's collection, and they don't know how to find value or how to how to efficiently sell it. What what advice would you give them?
1: I would say uh, there's numerous pages on Facebook that are dedicated to Antique Tackle. Uh, some are dedicated to a p- specific maker like South Bend or Shakespeare or Hedden. Uh, then there's pages that are for all kinds of tackle, uh, rods, reels, everything. So I would say visit those pages, join those pages and talk to the people on those forums. And they'll give you an idea of value at no cost. You can get right. a, an appraisal in, in minutes. You're, you'll get hammered. If it's good, your message box is going to load up in a hurry. Yeah, uh, thing, yeah it, that, that's how it works. But uh, the other thing is go to a show. Uh, yeah. You Can't beat that one-on-one exchange with a guy that'll that's knowledgeable that'll give you the time and 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 really he can look at your your item or items if they're you know you bring a tackle box they'll try to help you appraise what's in it um, they're happy to do it yeah. and if you want to sell them you can a lot of these shows have auctions and the bidding can get very aggressive um, yeah they're, they're collectors they're hardcore collectors and if something good comes through the through the door they're gonna they're gonna compete for it. Kind of like fishing holes. Oh man, it's it's so. There's ways ways to do that, and and also you can go online. NFLCC uh, has a website. The FATC has a website. Just Google antique tackle clubs, and you'll find plenty of them.
0: That's awesome. Now I this is just a personal question because I I have my own strange, weird hobby. But has eBay helped or hurt? anti floor collecting
1: yeah that's or both or both (laughs) yeah no i was quick to answer that too quick really um it's it's been good because when people realize there was value in anti-tackle it brought more of it out of the woodwork and less of it going in the garbage right it's incredible how many young people clear out their you know their uh ancestors barns or
0: and just chuck the stuff
1: yeah, uh, whether it's a basement or an attic or whatever, yeah. You come across a box of tackle and they don't know what to do with it. They think it's worthless and there could be a gym in there worth thousands and thousands of dollars. Right. And Gary, the, there's a lure, the highest recorded value of a lure that changed hands was $120,000. And that's a single lure. So, Whoa, my God. Know, if you've got old tackle, my advice is before you do anything with it, get it appraised get to somebody that knows what and don't let the let don't let the first guy buy it. You know, make yeah, sure I'll it give it. You, I'll
0: give you 10 bucks for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You could be selling pennies on the dollar, but get a second opinion. Yeah. Uh, and, and look into some of these forums. But yeah, it's a lot of it got discarded and, and packaging, mm-hmm. people don't realize that like this lure box, that's an 1895 I can't go the right way here. Lure box. The box and it's, is worth, it's worth, immaculate. Worth, it's immaculate. Yeah, Looks like it was, yeah. It's worth more than the frog.
0: It's crazy. It's worth
1: more than the frog because packaging got thrown away, so there's less of it. Right. So same with the Flood Minnow, even though they spelled it wrong. There's the uh the Florida shinner. It's actually should it be shiner, but this box <laughs> is worth worth as much as the bait that's in it.
0: Just wow.
1: thing it was that rare. So wow definitely get somebody that knows what they're doing before you discard anything
0: yeah man that's so cool that's so cool i love it i love it and my uncle um is a flea market guy and he always keeps his eye out for stuff but i I think there is more awareness now like you know people kind of know people know more now and i think that's because of the internet and ebay and all that but shout out to uncle don for bringing me an old Bagley's or old Wigglewort every once in a while that he pays a dollar for. Thank you, Uncle Don. You're the man. Except I'm fishing the Wigglewort still, so I'm not collecting them. So, <laughs> so that's a problem. But uh, I do love my old Wiggleworts. Real quick, before I, I get to the last question, Bernie, I, I did just want to pimp. I just grabbed two from my shelf, but it's the same exact theories, right? Like this is an ink from the 1890s, but it came out of an attic, right? So, like in both but mint label. The label itself is what gives this bottle the value. And then I've got another one here. This is one that I actually dug. So I have a little love for this one, but uh, open panel. This is an umbrella ink, long neck, which is unusual. Emerald green. This came out of a privy in Philadelphia. I dug this myself. 1860s, early 1860s. So man, I love history. Uh, If you're watching and listening. Pro fishermen have other hobbies too. Absolutely. This is it's our passion. So don't hold that against us.
1: Uh all
0: right, Bernie. This is a great way to wrap this up. And this is another just I, I'm curious about this because again, I'm I'm an older guy, you're an older guy. Speaking of old, I would never ask a woman this, but I do have to ask you this. How old are you, Bernie? 58. Because that's incredible. Because you really, really you age well. You age well. My mom. I, I, I don't, I don't want to sound, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm sure I'm straight as an arrow. i I don't want to sound, you know, but you age really well. Like you don't look, you don't look old. You, you, you age very well. Oh, you actually funny. have, yeah, you have like a, you almost have like a Kevin Costner, like, um, appeal to you where, you know, even like Kevin Costner, like he, he's aging, but he doesn't look old. He just looks stoic and you have that look.
1: Well, I, I got my mom's genes to thank for that. My mom just turned 101 in April.
0: Wow!
1: Yes.
0: God bless her. That's amazing.
1: On. I mean, she'd drive if we'd let her, and we're not letting her. But but yeah, you, these young guys take notice. I'm I'm not going anywhere real soon. I'm I'm, I'm still going to be around for a while.
0: So 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 that's the question. That's the question. Ha, when it, when is uh, enough? When have you have you like? Do you have you mapped it out? Or are you on the other side of the fence like Rick, Rick Klun, who's just saying, you know what? This is what I love to do. If I can physically and mentally do it, I'm going to do it as long as I can do it. Where, where are you at with retirement?
1: I, I probably fall in that same mindset. I, I, you know, I feel good. I feel better when I'm fishing and yeah. out on the road than I do when I sit home for any length of time. If I'm here for too long, I start getting sore, um, cranky. Yeah. I, you know, I want to go do something and when I'm on the road and and you know, part of part of that for me, I travel with Cliff Prince who's about 20 years younger than me and Cliff keeps it fun. He's such a great guy, great partner. Um, you know, strong competitor. His record doesn't reflect his skill level. Cliff's a great angler. And I think at some point it'll shine through, but he um he's really diverse for a Florida guy. He knows how to fish offshore, he knows how to fish shallow. He, any time of the year he's solid. Um and and I guess his passion and, and drive keeps me motivated. So mm. that's been yeah. part of it. I it's such a great family. I just like relating to them and keeps me out. It makes it fun. You know what yeah. I'm saying? If you're not having fun, why do it? Right. So right. it's still yeah. fun right. and there's things I still want to accomplish uh with a little bit of help from upstairs, maybe it'll happen. But um I don't know. I, I don't have a set time uh, you know i I don't think it's going to be any time immediate but in maybe in the next few years
0: gotcha well i i agree fishing keeps you young i i honestly mentally i feel like every time i'm fishing i feel like i'm a kid again you know i feel like i'm 15 16 so it does keep you young i i agree with that and uh bernie keep doing what you're doing i think i if i was a betting man i bet you're going to accomplish some of the goals you're talking about because you're having a great season. Uh, keep it going. I'd love to see you hold up a blue trophy. I'd love to see you make a classic and win a classic. And uh, and, and, it's going to, we got, I like this time of the year. We get through the Sabine, it's going to be fun the rest of the year. We, yeah.
1: <laughs> we got some
0: fun smallmouth tournaments coming up after the Sabine. So, yeah, yeah
1: it's I love be fun. that northern swing.
0: Me too. Well, thank you for joining us on Ike Live, Bernie. It was so awesome to have you on. Thank you for showing us the lures. I, 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 I'm I'm still geeking out about it, thinking about some of that stuff. Uh, but real quick, what's your website again? Because I want people to go look at some of that stuff. Because honestly, it's it's mind blowing to me. But where where can they see some of that stuff and follow you on on yeah. the web?
1: Yeah, uh, bernieschultzfishing dot com. Uh, I have uh, two pages on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, Bernie Schultz Fishing. Uh, they can follow my columns at bassmaster.com and insideline.net and justfishing.ca Canada.
0: Gotcha. All right. There you have it, folks. Bernie, thank you for coming on the show. I'm going to see you. I'm going to see you in a little over a week and, uh, man, 10 pounds a day. will be strong. I think. Oh
1: yeah. I'll, I'll take that right now and stay home. (laughs)
0: <laughs> isn't that sad 10 like it's funny to me that when we were coming to the delaware river guys were belly aching
1: oh god
0: the delaware and like yeah they caught them pretty good you know and now yeah. we're going to the sabine and you know guys aren't belly aching as much as the sabine well shit 10 pounds a day there you're in the top 10 i'm yeah. telling you it's gonna yeah. be tough but uh safe travels bernie see you in a little over a week and thank you thank you again for coming on thank you appreciate it Okay, there you have it, everybody. Bernie Schultz, man, that was awesome. Dude, I I, I know you could tell because I'm, I'm blushing and my cheeks are red, but, dude, I love the history of the sport. So here, hearing Bernie talk about his career, hearing Bernie talk about the lures, what a cool hobby that is, uh, that was an honor for me to have Bernie on the show. Very, 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 very cool. So I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, all right, this is the part of the show I know a lot of you guys love this part of the show. And we're going to do a Mystery Tackle Box unboxing. Remember, we are one of the only live podcasts that does a live unboxing. And this week, we're going to unbox a pro box. Let me remind you. Go over to mysterytacklebox.com. Uh, if you enter the promo code Ike Live, you're going to get 50% off, half off that box. And also 30% off the uh, Elite Box, if that's what you're into. But here we go. We're going to open this box. And this is the coolest part to me. This thing shows up on your doorstep. You walk over it, coming home from work. Oh, there it goes. You're so excited. It's like Christmas. You're like a little kid. And then you get your scissors or your pocket knife or your fingernail. And you go just like that. You hear that? And this, oh, that snap of the lid. And when you open it. Oh, one fell out. Um. We're going to go through this box. I'm going to show you a couple things, and I'm going to pick two lures uh, that really that I like. Okay, so we've got hooks. Let's see here. We've got a topwater. We've got some swim baits. We've got – oh, I like that. We've got – looks like an all-purpose jig. We've got some stickers. We've got a booklet. We've got a small crankbait. Uh, You know what? I'm going to go with, with these two baits, Okay. Let's go with this first one because I really am a fan of the different stuff. One of the great things about Mystery Tackle Box, man, I don't know that I would have found this on my own. It, it, it Put it in my hand. And we have a 13-fishing wobble crawl, and it says rabbit ear tail. So it's a four and a quarter bait. It's in a it's almost in like a brown crawfish color. Okay, comes in this nice little clam. Let's open this thing up and see what we got. Very, very cool bait, guys. If you're if you're watching, it's a crawl style bait, okay? But it's longer than most crawls, four and a quarter, right? Elongate it. And here is the difference. It doesn't have curly tail appendages, it has to me, it looks like a little ridge on those, on those ends. And it rem- almost reminds me of like a, um, like a chunk, like a chunk jig trailer. So I can imagine a, a movement, but more fluidity rather than big, wide movement. Uh, you could flip this. You could put it on a jig, a Carolina rig. I like that bait a lot. That's really cool. Never saw it before. That's
2: 13 fishing,
0: wobble, crawl, rabbit ear tail. And then this is one that I have seen before, but not in this color. And I think this is phenomenal. And remember, this is, this isn't a pro box. Okay. This is all this stuff is in a pro box. We've got the Mike Buka. This is the bull gill. Okay. So it's a jointed segmented swim bait. We've got one, two, three, four joints on it. So we're going to have that fluid movement. Most of these jointed swim baits are big, giant, four, two, three, four ounces, and they're shad colored. This little bullgill, 3.75, so smaller, just about the size of a, a young bluegill. Only weighs, let's see what it weighs, if I can find a weight. I don't see a weight, but I'm going to guess less than an ounce. And it's bluegill sunfish, panfish color. Dude. I could see this thing getting bit when they're eating panfish, when they're eating brim, the bluegill spawn, uh, shallow lakes, around docks, around vegetation. I could see that work. And and glide baits are not cheap, guys. So that's a really cool glide bait in that pack, plus all that other stuff. So uh, what a cool box. That was a nice unboxing today of the Pro Box. Uh, head on over to mysterytacklebox.com, put in the promo code iGlive. You're going to get 50% off that first Pro Box. I hope you had fun watching today. I had a good one. And, and before I let you guys go, I hope you're enjoying this new uh, format of like Live. This is like Live 2.0, up close and personal with some amazing guests. Uh, you're going you're gonna to hear from some great guys over the next couple of weeks. So I hope you're enjoying them. If you do, do me a favor, drop me a comment. I don't care whatever platform you're watching or listening. Drop me a comment if you can. Let me know. If you like the show, let me know if you like the new format and let me know if you have anything you want to see or hear or any guest you want to hear from. Put it in the comments. Uh, That would be great. So I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. Uh, God bless you. And uh, I've got, uh, let me think, I got a couple more days at home and then I'm headed to the Sabine River. (laughs) Ha 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 ha! The Sabine River. Ha ha ha! Hopefully, I'll catch a couple of bass. See ya! Thanks for watching. Bye. You know, right now where we're standing, we're in Camden, New Jersey. Yeah. Philadelphia is right there. This is the concrete jungle, and you know, a lot of those kids, as they grow up, they don't fish. It's interesting because they're surrounded by water, you know, the the Delaware River, the Schuylkill, ponds, city park lakes. But they don't have the influence to to cast, to fish, to have a rod and reel. And that really, that became our focus, you know, is to target kids in what we call non-traditional areas, you know, urban areas, city centers, where the population's high. and, And let these kids have the experience. You know, it, it, it's amazing. I mean, some of the experiences we've had, whether it's Central Park in New York City, here in Camden, other parts of the country, even just casting—it's yeah. unbelievable to see it, isn't it? Yes. It's unbelievable. Yes. And, and uh, you know, you see these kids have this experience they've never had, and they light up. You know, the big thing I think for the Ike Foundation is we're not—we're not saying we want all these kids to become professional anglers. Yeah. It'd be great if some of them did, but we want them to have that fishing experience because it ties them to so so many other positive things. The outdoors, nature, conservation, Conservation. uh, ecology, um, you know, all these amazing things in life that maybe they wouldn't have been exposed to any other way. We're trying to help with that. So it's it's important, it's important for us. We're proud of it. (laughs)
2: Four and a half inch drop shot worm. bam a bug. Finesse jig, PB and J, give me something hard. Hey, KVD here. Now, I didn't always know this much about fishing. Three-aught, no, four-aught EWG worm hook. In fact, there was a time when I couldn't tell the difference between a jerk bait and a stick bait. But then I signed up for Mystery Tackle Box, the original monthly tackle subscription. And now I know more about fishing than I do about Calculus and he knows a lot about calculus. Plus, I get amazing extras, like free fishing magazines. October 2016, featured article, four places to throw a frog, exclusive decals, <coughs> zombie bass, and how-to videos for all the great baits I receive. How to tune a crankbait. Is that underwater footage I smell? I got goosebumps. So if you're looking to develop enhanced fishing abilities like me, or you just like getting new tackle every month, Go to mysterytacklebox.com and get your box today.